These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another. Render true and perfect justice in your gates and do not contrive evil against one another. Those are the words discovered this week, written on 2,000-year-old Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you're an archaeologist or a scholar of ancient texts, you will have heard this exciting news. Last week, Israeli archaeologists found these Greek translations of pieces of the 12 minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible in a remote cave on the West Bank. They're at least 2,000 years old, dating from between the 3rd century BC and the 1st century AD. Archaeologists had to rappel down a sheer cliff face to reach the cave opening. It's 262 feet below a steep ledge flanked by gorges on either side, and it's called the Cave of Horror because of all the skeletons discovered there. They found more of these ancient writings on parchment paper, first discovered by a Bedouin goat herder in the mid-1940s. And as you can imagine, biblical scholars are thrilled. If we go further back in time to ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, we can read things recorded as far back as 3200 BC. Hieroglyph in Greek means sacred texts. And these were a combination of words and pictures carved into stone on monuments, tombs, vessels, and even wood. And these carvings were made by trained scribes, since most of the population couldn't write or read. And they give us a tantalizing glimpse into what was going on in Egypt thousands of years ago. Hieroglyphs are found in the temple at Karnak and in the pyramids, as well as many other places. But my friends, if we travel even further back to prehistoric times, we find ourselves 17,000 years ago in Lascaux, France. And there we're treated to the prehistoric paintings and symbols cave dwellers adorned their walls with. Can you believe they've lasted 17,000 years? Extraordinary. Ancient Roman buildings, too, were often inscribed with dedications to particular gods or goddesses. And as a result of the tragic eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, we see the beautifully preserved graffiti in the towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum. Now, throughout these towns, people wrote on walls for a lot of the same reasons that we put up signs to advertise businesses, to advertise houses for rent or promote political campaigns and perhaps even to share some love poetry. One of the writings found says, I beg you to make C. Julius Polybia Idile a magistrate. He makes good bread. Honestly, I'm all in for Julius. Who doesn't like good bread? So throughout our history, civilizations have written on their walls in lasting form, statements, symbols, or stories about who they were and what was important to them. In our own country at the Lincoln Memorial, we have the Gettysburg Address inscribed, as well as Lincoln's second inaugural address. It's a powerful way to keep sharing Lincoln's historic messages. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous words, I have a dream, are also inscribed, commemorating the 1963 March on Washington there. 
And nowadays artists are decorating walls and buildings around the world with gorgeous graffiti, sometimes just for art's sake, but often with socio-political statements, protest messages and inspirational words. I remember how after the mur murder of George Floyd last summer, how buildings nationwide were painted with his image and how quickly DC was able to get Black Lives Matter emblazoned on Freedom Plaza outside the White House. Words matter. Writing them down publicly makes a statement. When I look at both ancient and modern writings, I feel a sense of both awe mixed with curiosity. People found these writings important enough to put on buildings, on stones and in caves. Putting these words in writing publicly implies a commitment. They often took two weeks or weeks or months to inscribe or paint. And it seems that the longer they took to inscribe, the more committed people were to their message, perhaps. Quite unlike the three seconds it takes to send a tweet. So it got me thinking about the words that we choose to adorn our walls. Now, if aliens were to land on Earth centuries from now and somehow our chalice sanctuary still stood, what would they think about our wall paintings? What would they make of the words we chose to write on our walls? The words that have remained in our sanctuary throughout this year while we've worshipped from home. Have you ever wondered how they got there and what they hope to convey? We have four distinct phrases adorning our walls. Facing our chancel, if you look to the upper left-hand side, it says, all life, all truth is one. And then directly above our chancel and the beautifully carved chalice, it says, Unitarian Universalist. And then to the right of the chancel, it is written, all souls are worthy of respect and love. And we also have our mission statement on the wall to the left of where we sit, which announces we nurture spiritually courageous people who transform the world through justice and compassion. For almost 50 years, Chalice migrated from one location to another as a congregation. So finding a permanent place for the fellowship to call home in 2008 was a huge privilege. We finally had the perfect space to gather where we could paint on our walls and proclaim our values and intentions and thus hold ourselves accountable to them. But why put these words on our walls? What do they say about us? Do these words continue to live in our hearts and minds a year after we've not been able to step foot in our sanctuary? Does writing them down help us keep our commitments to our mission and purpose? Even when we haven't been able to see them. Some of us have never even been inside our sanctuary. I know some of you are joining us from faraway places, so this may be completely new to you. So let me share the story I was told of how these came to be. We moved into our sanctuary in July 2008, and Lorella Hess and a few others were frustrated that our sanctuary walls looked so bland and empty. Most churches and sanctuaries are adorned with stained glass and paintings on walls and iconography. 
When you walk in, you know what's important to these people. Being Unitarian Universalist, it was less obvious what should adorn our sacred space. We wanted our sanctuary to share some sense of who we are and what we care about as you use. Originally, vinyl banners were hung on the walls, but these banners would keep getting removed to show up at rallies. They weren't really functioning as part of our permanent decor. And Lorella hoped we would claim the space in some way, put our mark on it, so to speak. And being a lifetime Unitarian Universalist with a deep commitment to this faith, Lorella chose these phrases inspired by our first, fourth, and seven UU principles, which you see behind me here on my walls today. Lorella describes it like this. It was 2012 and we'd been in our sanctuary for four years and I wanted something that proclaimed our UU identity for anyone who walked into the room, whether for a church service, a community forum presentation, a funeral or any kind of meeting. We had the large and lovely chalice art, but that's a symbol and I thought we also needed words. And for those of you who don't know, Lorella's a lawyer after all, so words are important. So obviously, the strip across the middle should be labeled Unitarian Universalist, she said. And then on each side, there should be a capsule summary of what each term meant. Because some people would walk in not already knowing these words. I remember thinking, she said, that 100 years ago in 1912, it would have been a very easy choice. The Unitarian side would say God is one and the Universalist side would say God is love. But that formulation wouldn't work in 2012. I wanted the standout words on each side to be one and all. Most people would recognize immediately that Unitarian means one and Universalist means all. You see how one and all flank Unitarian Universalist? Visiting First Unitarian in Denver, Lorella shared, I saw a poster that said, all souls are worthy of respect and love. Perfect for the Universalist side, speaking to our first principle. And all souls is a popular name for historically Universalist churches. The Unitarian side was trickier. All life, all truth is one is supposed to convey the idea that as Unitarians in the 21st century, we hold holy the spirit of life and the source of truth. It speaks to both our seventh UU principle and also the fourth, which together anchor the Unitarian side of things. I found out that our mission adopted by the board in 2011 came out of an extensive discernment process before Reverend Laura Brandis arrived. It was adopted in January 2012 and became the first thing that went up on the wall. And when we were able to hire a lift to do our annual high cleaning of our high ceilings, some of the amazing artists in our congregation like Claudia Barton and Monica Wee painted these words on our walls to make them permanent. And they've been there ever since. It was a significant step to go from adopting our mission and the statements on movable vinyl banners to putting them in writing on the wall. It demonstrated our commitment. It explained who we are and who we hope to be in the world. When have you written something that has deepened your commitment? 
As a fellowship, we put our annual pledge cards in writing. Our congregation's covenant is written down for us to read from regularly. Our bylaws are scripted. And when we become members, part of that sacred ceremony is to sign our names in the membership book, which goes back decades. And in each case, we document the intentions and words we hope to live by, by writing them down. So I wonder, do you keep a journal or write down New Year's resolutions? I often try to write my intentions for the day each morning in my journal, and it helps me live more purposefully. Did you write down your marriage vows, perhaps? Or are you the type of person who likes to write down your vision or mission statements for your life? Are you someone who might put favorite phrases up on the walls of your home which indicate what you're committed to? We have a painting up behind our dining room table that says family rules, and it serves as a good reminder of our intentions as a family. Oops, that's the wrong slide. Never mind. We have family rules behind us. There we are. There are our family rules. And even though we don't refer to this often, these subliminal messages are constantly in our view. And you can see behind me here that I have pictures of the seven UU principles to remind me daily of my commitment to Unitarian Universalism. And they were a gift from my husband for achieving full fellowship as a minister, celebrating my dedication to this faith. And I move them around for you to see different principles on different weeks. Today we have the first and fourth and the seventh principle behind me. So there's something powerful that happens in the act of writing. When our commitments become public, it makes them even more potent, present, and permanent. The renowned theologian Henry Nelson Wyman says, inevitably in our lives, we commit ourselves to something, whether worthy or not. The direction and intensity of our loyalties give shape and meaning to our lives. Loyalties, commitments, covenants, the promises we make to one another, these are the things that tell us to what we belong. By doing so, they tell us who we are. So these writings on our sanctuary walls tell us what we belong to as Unitarian Universalists. All souls are worthy of respect and love, tells us that we belong to a commitment to love. And this phrase voices our first UU principle, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of every person. But in our statement, we're taking it a step further, saying all souls are worthy of respect and love. Now, Universalists declared this in the 1700s when they hypothesized that God was not a judgmental God condemning some to hell and saving only a few. Instead, as a truly loving father, shouldn't he love all his children, sinners or not? And if you struggle with the words soul or God, I invite you to translate those into something that makes sense for you, perhaps being 
instead of soul or universal energy or simply love instead of God. So don't get hung up on these words if others work better for you. It's always a translation game. But back to our first principle, let's be honest. It's demanding, isn't it? It's one thing for God to love us all and it's another for us to love us all. It's easy to understand this phrase and agree to it in principle, asserting that everyone is worthy of respect and love, but it's a lot more difficult to live into this commitment, isn't it? Yes, we may all be born with inherent worth and dignity, but the way we evolve and the choices we make could make it very hard for others to believe that we're really worthy of respect and love. This is why our first principle and this statement on our wall are deeply aspirational. If God is love or all loving as universalism would say, or if the energy of love is what binds us all together, then we're being asked to find love for even the most unlovable. We're being asked to find love even for those who cause harm and pain. It's easy to love those who are easy to love. It's easy to love those who are victimized or hurt or those who never talk back like our pets. But it's unbelievably hard to offer all souls respect and love, especially to those who do evil or harm. In the midst of writing this sermon, I had a prophetic dream about my father who's been deceased for almost eight years. And I wanna share it with you now because I rarely, if ever, dream about him. We had a complex relationship and he wasn't always the easiest man to love. But in this dream, he told me to talk about this principle and remind us that as souls, we're all completely worthy of love. And that resonated. He was basically asking for forgiveness for his flawed human nature and requesting me to recognize him as a loving being, as a soul worthy of love and respect. And I feel tremendous love for his soul and his spirit now. His message seemed to be that if we can get to the essence of people, to their core soul or energy beyond their behavior, personality or actions, then we're all sparks of light and love, worthy of respect and completely lovable. So I invite you to, to wrestle with this statement and determine how it might make sense to you and how you might live into it. The other statement, all life, all truth is one, speaks to what Unitarians historically claim is the oneness of God, the spirit of life, the source of truth and wisdom, the all there is, is all there is. This oneness incorporates everything that's alive. Essentially, this is a succinct explanation of process theology, of the divine living within and around all, of all being one. 
some process theologians and scientists would say that God is our interconnectedness, our unity, our ever-evolving interdependent web of existence, as our seventh UU principle talks about. Eco-theologian and Buddhist scholar, one of my favorite writers, Joanna Macy says, the life pouring through us, pumping our heart and breathing through our lungs didn't begin at our birth or conception. Like every particle in every atom and molecule of our bodies, it goes back through time to the first splitting and spinning of the stars. But what about truth? I get the interconnectedness of all existence, but I struggle with truth because truth seems so relative, especially these days. However, this statement about all life and truth being one goes deeper than relative truth. It speaks to the consciousness behind all, to the awareness that we may discover in deep meditation that there is some deeper essence watching the watcher. It speaks to the truth that is the formation of our galaxies, to the dark matter that is woven invisibly between us all. The truth beneath the noise of our differences, beyond the multiple truths that lead us to the one truth using different paths up the same mountain. Or as described by Reverend Forrest Church as stained glass windows in which we see the one light, Unitarianism, shine through the many windows, Universalism, illuminating human minds and hearts in many different ways. In our congregation, says Church, we honor this truth by encouraging our members to reflect on the light through whatever set of windows they find most illuminating. So perhaps this statement encourages us to reflect on and explore the deeper truths of life as reflected in the Unitarian understanding of oneness. I remind us of the words of Henry Nelson Wyman Inevitably, in our lives, we commit ourselves to something, whether worthy or not. If these statements on our walls reflect our commitments as you use, we are indeed committed to very worthy ideals. If nothing else, they encourage us to reflect and question. They summon curiosity and awe, not unlike the ancient writings we saw earlier. So I invite you to take the image of these statements, which is in your service reminder email today, and also in your news and notes, and print it out. Place it on a wall somewhere in your home to remind you of the commitments of this fellowship and faith. Allow these statements to connect you to our spiritual home while we remain outside it. And allow them to challenge and deepen your own theology. Personally, I feel grateful that we have such an expansive, aspirational faith tradition. I feel proud of the writing on our cave walls. It demonstrates our commitment, our curiosity, our identity and our intentions 
for all to see. My beloveds, may we allow these words to guide, inspire, and hold us. And while we must remain physically distant from our church walls, may we carry these messages precious in our hearts and minds. We can be assured that these powerful phrases and our beautiful sanctuary will embrace us with open arms when we return to them in person. May it be so. Amen.